I'm Jacob Henson with J. Proctor Farms in Lingleville, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We've got another week rolling, and I've got another episode of Texas Ag Today rolling. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the outlook is bright for the Texas dairy industry. In fact, the news broke recently that Texas is now the number three milk producing state in the nation behind California and Wisconsin. And the industry is growing, especially out on the Southern Plains and the Texas Panhandle. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Following a recent tornado, it will be a long time before the Texas A&M AgriLife facilities near Vernon are fully operational again. But the work there is continuing. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Turf grass production across Texas has become very diversified as an agricultural enterprise. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. A dry spring continues here on the rolling plains as farmers continue to make plans. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and we'll look at some drought history in today's report. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Texas dairy industry is growing, with dairies expanding in the panhandle and new processing plants in the works. Darren Turley, executive director of the Texas Association of Dairymen, says there are three new cheese plants planned in Amarillo, Dumas, and Lubbock. Well, we have the plant in Amarillo, Sakichi Cheese, is coming in from California. That plant is had ground broke and construction started. We have the big plant that most people saw, press release from the governor and others, city of Lubbock has worked really hard to produce uh, a plan to get Leprino to build their next plant here in the Lubbock area. And so that's exciting because it's a very large plant and that'll open us up uh, again as a state to, to increase production quite a bit. So there'll be over 200 loads of additional milk sales in a few years per day. Texas recently moved into the number three milk production state in the nation, behind California at number one and Wisconsin at number two. BASF welcomed 51 farms into the FiberMax One Ton Club following the 2021 growing season. One of those 51 farms was lucky enough to win a two-year lease on a Ford F-350 King Ranch truck. You plant their seed, and then if you're able to grow over four bell an acre cotton, then you qualify for a contest where they draw a name. And then if you win, you get a two-year lease on a F-350 one-ton truck. That's Chase Bubinick of San Angelo. He was the lucky winner of the truck lease. 
He says last year was a good year to hit that four bale yield. Well, it was it was under some drip, and last year was actually a pretty good growing season. Sometimes when you're growing cotton like that, a lot of it's whenever you, you have all your preparation and you do all your work, and you also, the weather works in your favor too. Something that really hurts us sometimes is if you get a hailstorm, you have to go in and replant and things of that nature. Whenever you get that full, long growing season, we didn't have an early freeze or anything, and it just... We were able to set a lot of fruit, and we were able to mature a lot of the fruit out, and it paid its dividends. M&M Farms of Garden City, Texas, had the highest yield in the contest with 3,417 pounds of cotton an acre. That's the second highest yield on record in the history of the Fibermax one-ton club. To qualify for the club, a producer must grow a minimum of 2,000 pounds of ginned cotton per acre on a minimum of 20 acres planted with Fibermax cotton seed. It will be a long time before the Texas A&M AgriLife facility near Vernon is fully operational again, thanks to a recent hit by a tornado. But James Hunt tells us the work there is continuing. Following the devastating twister that struck on May 4th, Dr. Rick Veerling says... If we define normal as pre-tornado, it's going to be at least a year before everything is back to working like it did prior to the tornado. But right now, we are still functioning. We are providing the office and business support that the faculty needs to do their research, and they're planting their research plots this week. Dr. Veerling is the director of the AgriLife Research and Extension Center at Vernon and manager of the AgriLife Foundation Seed Program. He says the damage is estimated at 5 to $10 million. The center's main office building lost nearly all of its roof, and a number of other structures incurred extensive damage, including the destruction of three greenhouses. But although some breeding projects were impacted, one bright note, the rescue of hibiscus plants by the local community. The Lions Club brought a trailer, they put them on the trailer, and they took them to Vernon High School. They have a greenhouse, and they are going to let us use that to keep that program going. And Dr. Veerling says some people even took hibiscus plants home to preserve them until their eventual return to the AgriLife facilities. So with strong support from the A&M system and those good neighbors, Dr. Veerling says the Vernon team will forge ahead. During COVID, we did not stop. We did all the research. We didn't lose anything and I expect this staff and I know this staff and this year and the next year while we're in this reconstruction mode, rebuild mode, they will continue to meet their research obligations and we will get everything done. Same way with Foundation Seed. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. One agricultural enterprise you may not think of here in Texas is turf grass production. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at the Texas turf grass industry. For today's program, we got a horticulturist, John Begno, in San Angelo. And uh, John, turf grass uh, production is an agricultural enterprise here in Texas. It most definitely is, and we're seeing it expand, partly due to transportation costs and shipping turf grass to the areas where it's demanded or consumers want it. We see players like King Ranch has become a very large institutional grower of turf grass. They have over 13,000 acres dedicated to growing turf grass, and not only in South Texas, where they, of course, originated, but in locations all around the state of Texas. And not only King Ranch, you're seeing farmers who have center pivot systems 
that were dedicated to cotton or milo or corn that might be close to a metropolitan area that see the demand for turf grass. And being closer, they can cut out a lot of transportation costs, and it's become a very economic, viable industry. And certainly turf grass. We're talking about uh, home lawns, parks, golf courses, athletic fields at high schools for football, baseball, and soccer. So certainly a huge demand across the state. Turf grass touches everybody's life. We're reading about Las Vegas cutting back on the amount of turf grass because of the dry conditions and so forth. And we see this every time Texas goes through a dry period and any other state for that matter. Turf grass can get a bum rap, but the truth is we need turf grass and it has so many benefits, not only just aesthetics, but functional, just like you said, in athletic activities, parks and our home individual spaces. More with horticulturist John Begno on turf grass production on our next program. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A dry spring continues on the Texas Rolling Plains. Barry Mahler has an update from the Wichita Falls area. Over the last few months, I've at least mentioned dry weather in these reports several times while hoping that in just a few days the rain would come and we'd be back to normal. But now with a couple of 100 degree temperatures recorded in early May and what rain that has come to various areas is also bringing hail, tornadoes and wind damage. Now, drought's not uncommon here in Texas. After all, we're considered an arid climate and records show we have a pretty severe drought every, well, about every decade or so. Looking back, we find several in the records. In 1917 and 18, native grasses were so damaged that invasive species permanently took over much of the state. In 1925, high temperatures and low rainfall set records for the worst one-year drought that stood for 86 years. Of course, the 1930 through 36 period saw the Dust Bowl lead to staggering economic losses and displaced thousands of people from the land, and that actually started the change in Texas from a rural to a more urban state. From 1950 to 57, catastrophic drought moved Texas into scientific water planning. And the 1950s are still referred to as drought of record, meaning the worst case scenario. Although I don't remember the 1950s drought, I do remember the flood that broke it in 1957. It rained 32 days in parts of Texas. Now you talk about extremes, that was it. The 1971 drought destroyed the wheat and cotton crops, killed 100,000 cattle. In some areas of North Texas, only a single inch of rain was recorded for the entire year, and the Red River actually went dry. I recall running the combine that summer trying to at least gather back some seed. You could run all day and never have to dump the truck. In 2010 and 2011, the hottest and driest one-year period in Texas was recorded. In some areas, the shortage of rain lasted for about three years. So about every 10 years or so, we get dry, at least somewhere in the state, and we seem to be heading in that direction. Much of the wheat crop here on the Rolling Plains is gone, and farmers are beginning to liquidate cattle and even taking advantage of the opportunity to clean some silt from ponds to help them store more water when the rains finally come back. The good news is that we've survived many in the past. We'll get through this one, but it sure makes our old country look pretty ugly for a while. This is Barry Mahler reporting from North Central Texas for Texas Ag Today. Red snapper season in federal waters opens soon. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And there are three myths surrounding heartworms in pets. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
break out your camera and snap a pic for the Texas Farm Bureau Photo Contest. You or someone you know can share your best photo with the entire Lone Star State and maybe win some cash, like $250 for first place, $200 for second place, and $100 for honorable mention. The contest is open to Texas Farm Bureau members or an immediate family member. Rural settings and lifestyles are the preferred themes for all submissions, and contestants are limited to one entry per person. Top four winners will be selected and published in the July edition of Texas Agriculture and the summer edition of Texas Neighbors. Snap your pick now for the Texas Farm Bureau Photo Contest. The entry deadline is June 1st. Visit TexasFarmBureau.org for complete contest rules. That's TexasFarmBureau.org. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There are three myths surrounding heartworms in pets. Dr. Bob Judd says Dallas veterinarian Dr. Nancy Turner recently wrote about these myths. Dr. Turner is a member of the Texas Veterinary Medical Association, and she says the first myth that should be busted is that dogs that spend the majority of their time indoors do not need to be on heartworm preventative medication. Certainly outside dogs are more susceptible to heartworms, but it is not uncommon to find a mosquito in most homes in Texas. It only takes one mosquito bite for the mosquito to inject the larval stage of the heartworm and lead to infection. I would bet most of you in Texas have seen a mosquito in your home at some point in the past. Another myth that Dr. Turner believes should be busted is that you only need to use heartworm prevention in the spring and summer and not year-round. Folks, we do not have enough winter in Texas to kill all the mosquitoes, and when we have those 70-degree January days, the mosquitoes are active again. And even if some of the adult mosquitoes are killed by freezing weather, the eggs will likely survive and can be dormant for at least two years. There are plenty of places for mosquitoes to hide from the cold weather, and some of them even hide in our homes. For this reason, year-round heartworm prevention medication is required in Texas. The last myth Dr. Turner wants to bust is that cats cannot get heartworms. Although heartworm disease in cats is less common than in dogs, this does not mean they cannot get infected. Although cats are less likely to get adult worms in the heart, the larval stages can cause significant disease migrating through the body. And multiple studies have found a significant number of heartworms in cats living exclusively indoors in Texas. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Red snapper season in federal waters open soon. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. Private anglers will soon be able to try their luck at catching red snapper in federal waters off the Texas coast. The private recreational red snapper season opens Wednesday, June 1st in federal waters. Bag and size limits remain unchanged this year at two red snapper per day per person with a 16-inch minimum length. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, anglers need to be aware of new federal regulations that will go into effect this year. The Descend Act requires all commercial and recreational anglers to possess a venting tool or a rigged descending device on their boat while fishing for reef fish in the Gulf of Mexico. 
According to Parks and Wildlife, research shows that properly releasing reef fish reduces mortality for fish species like red snapper. Red snapper season in federal waters will remain open until the state's allotted poundage for the year is reached. At that point, Parks and Wildlife will notify the public and the season will be closed. Again, the season for private anglers in federal waters starts June 1st. According to Parks and Wildlife, anglers fishing more than nine nautical miles off the coast of Texas are considered to be in federal waters. Red snapper fishing is allowed year-round in state waters. Anglers should be mindful that red snapper caught in federal waters do count as part of their daily bag limit in state waters. The state bag limit is four fish per person per day with a 15-inch minimum length. No more than two red snapper in federal waters and four red snapper caught in state waters can be in your possession while fishing. Be sure to check this year's outdoor annual for all regulations. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was another wild and crazy day in the markets on Monday to start the week. We were sharply higher in cotton, corn, and wheat and that in turn affected the cattle market. We'll check out all of Monday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. On the Texas Ag Calendar, livestock producers in the Kerr County area have the Kerr County Ranch Field Day coming up Tuesday, May 24th at the Hill Country Youth Event Center in Kerrville. County Extension Agent Justin Klinzik is with us. And Justin, what will be happening at the Kerr County Ranch Field Day? I'm going to start the day out with proper weaning techniques for cattle, sheep, and goats and how that kind of benefits marketability. going to discuss impacts of proper grazing and overgrazing. Morgan Livestock Equipment is going to bring in a mobile working pen, and we're going to get to do some live cattle handling and demonstrations with that. Dr. Joe Passel is going to talk about the benefits of pregnancy testing and demonstrate the IDEX alert pregnancy blood test. Then we're going to round out the day with Dr. Sonia Swiger from AgriLife Extension, and she's going to talk about parasite control in livestock. The Kerr County Ranch Field Day coming up May 24th. If you need more information, call the Extension Office at 830-257-6568. If you would like to have your agricultural event featured here on the Texas Ag Calendar, just shoot me an email, cmartin, C-M-A-R-T-I-N, at txfb.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a mixed trade in the cattle complex to kick off the week on Monday. A higher close in the live cattle market, lower close on the feeder cattle market. June live cattle up a dollar ten, one thirty three seventeen. The August up a dollar fifty five at one thirty three ninety. October live cattle up seventy two cents at one thirty nine eighty five. Feeder cattle, however, could not stomach a big jump in the corn market on Monday. That pushed feeder prices lower. May down forty seven cents at one fifty seven forty. August feeders down sixty at one sixty seven forty two. September feeder cattle down sixty two at one seventy. 50. Cash fed cattle market all quiet to start the week on Monday. Of course, we wrapped up last week selling cattle at 140. That's steady money with the previous week. Boxed beef was higher Monday, choice up $1.87 at 26082. Select unchanged 24390. 
Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with J.R. Gully. We talked this week with Jim Wheeler of Atascosa Livestock Exchange in Pleasanton. Jim reported an improved cattle market in Atascosa County. The market was probably a little bit better. And actually, I believe we had a dollar forty-six on a packer cow last Tuesday, and we had fifty-six this week. So they put ten dollars back on packer cows too. So good. pretty decent all the way around. Yeah, yeah, good. Let's walk the pins. Ended up with three seventy-four, hundred and forty were steers, hundred sixteen heifers, hundred five cows, and nine bulls. Steer side two to three weights, a dollar sixty-five to two fifteen. Heifers were a dollar fifty to a dollar eighty-five. Three to four weight steers, a dollar sixty to two dollars. Efforts were a dollar forty to a dollar eighty. Four to five weight steers, a dollar forty five to a dollar eighty eight. Efforts were a dollar thirty five to a dollar seventy eight. Five to six weight steers, a dollar thirty five to a dollar seventy nine. Efforts were a dollar twenty to a dollar fifty five. Six seven weight steers, a dollar twenty to a dollar forty five. Efforts were a dollar ten to a dollar fifty. Seven to eight weight steers, a dollar fifteen to a dollar forty. Heifers were a dollar to a dollar twenty-five. Eight to nine weight steers, a dollar to a dollar thirty, and the heifers were ninety to a dollar ten. And best packer cow yesterday brought eighty-three and a half. Best bull brought a dollar nine. We sold bread cows anywhere from six twenty to thirteen seventy-five, and we kept a couple little pairs together. They brought five hundred and nine fifty. Jim also reported that producers are pulling their calves off the cows, starting at around 200 pounds in efforts to save their cattle. Jim Wheeler at Atascosa Livestock Exchange in Pleasanton. I'm J.R. Gully in for Larry Marble. Good day. Thanks, Jr. Back over to the futures market now. Where lean hogs took a big jump on Monday. June hogs up 307 to close at 103.82. July hogs up 360 at 104.80. Class 3 milk was steady to higher. May milk unchanged, 24.97, 100 weight, while June milk was up 66 at 24.49. The cotton and grain markets went a bit crazy on Monday. We were sharply higher across the board on corn, cotton, and wheat. It all started in the wheat market. India announcing on Monday that they will now restrict any more exports of wheat out of their country as a part of their food security policy. So no more wheat exports coming out of India. That caused the wheat market to jump limit up across the board. July, Kansas City wheat limit up 70 cents to close at 13.52 a bushel. July, Chicago wheat up 70 cents at 12.47 and a half. The corn market, in turn, deciding to trade sharply higher on the coattails of that big move in wheat. July corn was up 28 and a quarter, 809 and a half. September corn up 20 and a half at 778 a bushel. December corn up 16 and three quarters, 765 and a half. Now, while the grain markets were sharply higher on that news from India, cotton traders were thinking, well, if they could restrict exports of wheat, They may restrict exports of cotton, and India is a major producer of cotton, so that caused the cotton market to climb sharply higher. July cotton up 545 points. It topped $1.50. We closed at $150.65. October cotton up 491 points, $139.61. December cotton up 497 points at $132.96. In the energy markets, June natural gas was up 31 cents, 797. June crude oil up 321 at 11370. 
The financial markets were mixed Monday afternoon. The Dow up 26 points, 32,223. The NASDAQ down 142 at 11,662. The S&P down 15 points, 4,008. That wraps up a look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or dfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.